With the recent passing of George H.W. Bush, Jimmy Carter now becomes the longest living president in U.S. history. John Oliver does an in-depth interview with Monica Lewinsky that gets a lot of attention in the shaming realm. And in Living Color, the big hit TV series comes back or actually goes to big screen for the first time with a cast reuniting for 25 years for a big, big event. Those are pretty big events media-wise and just in general, but not quite big enough to be in the top 10. Not the tops for this week, as said per you. So what are the biggest stories of the week that you told me to talk about? We will talk about them in mere moments here on The Wrap-Up Show with Jay Cleveland Payne from This Is A Conversation.com. This is a wrap-up show for the week ending March the 23rd, 2019. And welcome to the show. I am Jay Cliffin Payne, as previously stated and also stated, this is the wrap-up show brought to you by thisisaconversation.com. That is a website that houses a pretty, pretty big mission. We want to have the best conversations with the best conversation list, which I think is actually a word around the world. We want to have a big global conversation on the news that gets left off the chirons all day long. When breaking news has broken for about two weeks, we want to talk about stories that may have been missed in the headline news or may have been missed wherever you are. Great stories, sometimes not so great stories, sometimes just really silly really silly stories that pop up around the world. We want to talk about it with you. And this is a global podcast, a global show that gets responses and listeners from all over the world, from all the corners of the earth. And we're glad about that. But maybe you're finding out about the show and don't know about being in the count for the conversation. We'll talk about that in a moment. But let me first tell you how this thing works out. We have three segments for the show. Segment number one, we'll go through the top ten. Uh, ten to one, Casey Kasem style, if you will, going the stories that you said, the people listening out there and people in the Internet world, voted on. We'll explain that in a second. To say which stories were the most important for the week. We had 199 specific postings this week, 199 things posted on our social media. So that's what people had to choose from. So we'll tell you which ones are the tops of that one. Segment two, we'll talk about the what we call the almost relevant story of the week. And we also have housekeeping as well. So in that segment, we'll talk about all the weird things that happen in the countdown. And we'll have a couple things to get into in housekeeping. One, we had a holdover from last week, a story that came in early enough slash late enough and was high enough that it's also in this week's countdown. So we'll throw that in there as well. Plus, to explain something that was a bit of an oddity for the almost relevant story, 199 this week. And in the third segment, we go through what we call rounding out the countdown, which goes through 11 through 15, the five stories not quite in the range, almost there, but not quite there, and maybe some explanation of why we believe they didn't quite make it in there. So to get you in on the countdown, get you into the pot, get your votes in for all these stories, it's very simple. I told you about our main website, thisisaconversation.com. We have three social media sites that we focus on. We have Instagram, which is there to sort of promote what's going on. And we also have Twitter and Facebook where you can actually engage with what's happening. You literally engage. You see a posting every 50 minutes. We basically have a posting of a new story from various news sources. So we try to be fair. Sometimes we're unfair on purpose, but we try to be fair and, and keep things moving in different places, different sources. You see a story in your news feed when you're just checking around. And if you see it, engage with it, like it, hate it, Love it, share it, respond to it, respond to me. And the more engagement a story gets, the higher it goes up in account. At the end of the week, we put the Twitter and the Facebook together in a 
magical spreadsheet that some numbers are crunched, some some there's parabolas and algorithms and stuff like that, and we get the the raw numbers turning to an actual apples-to-apples apples comparison, and we give you the countdown for the week there. And we'll get to that in just a bit. But to find those places, you just go to your Twitter machine and look for TH underscore conversation. Go to Facebook and look for This is the Conversation. And make sure we are actually set to come up in your feed. Don't don't hide us. We're not being shadow banned. We just need to make sure that you're actually putting a priority on us popping up there. And we love to enjoy that. Oh, by the way, in Section 3, we will give some shout-outs to people who uh, have contributed to the things inside of the ser- service. So if you've liked something, loved something, shared something, replied to something, uh, we will give you some shout-outs from both the Twitter users and the Facebook users. So join in that way. And coming soon, we'll be having ways to put a, a bounty. Well, we'll put a – not a price. We're going to give prizes to people who do shout-outs. We're going to make it worth your effort. Trust me, it's going to be great. So that's coming up in mere weeks. Right now, it's time to get out of mere weeks and deal with just the here, right here, right now. And we're going to talk about the top 10 stories for this week. Of course, this is the week we're saying ending on the 23rd of March. We record this on the morning, afternoon-ish of Friday, the 22nd. So these are all stories from seven and a half days, from essentially Friday morning now to Friday morning. Yes, last week, not quite yesterday, it'd be Thursday. And we're going to get into those stories right now. Starting off with the number 10 headline for this week, this is a story that is really focused on the Canadian folks. So thank you, Canada, for being a part of the show and showing your love on this one, pushing this one to where it is in the 10 spot this week. Headline, Superstore Shoppers Drug Mart customers say they were forced to use self-checkout. Posted this on Sunday, March the 17th, and we're going to read a few lines from this one because, as I said, this happened in Canada, far away from Arkansas, where I actually happen to be. So here are some details. Marvin Kaye said he was taken aback when last weekend he was told he'd have to use self-checkout at Shoppers Drug Mart in Ajax, Ontario. Everybody's is being funneled, herded through the self-checkout. That's a quote from Martin. After protesting, Kaye said he was told he could go to a cashier if he paid cash. He had none, so the option was out. More quotes from Martin. I find it distasteful that I can't even get that basic level of customer service. If I wasn't with my daughter, I might have just dropped off my stuff on the floor and walked out. Many large retailers are adding self-checkout machines to stores, claiming they're offering more choice. But several shoppers, drug mart, and real Canada Superstore customers complained to CBC News that they were recently given only one choice, self-checkout. Each shoppers, drug mart customer relayed the same experience because they were paying with debit or credit. They were ordered to use a self-checkout machine, which accepts credit but not cash. They're forcing me to use it, and I don't think it's fair, said Linda Chalkowski, who was directed to self-checkout last week at Shoppers in Winnipeg. I can't. I, I use a cane to walk with. I use this machine. I have to pay my cane down. I have to find a place to put my purse. I have to pack the stuff. It's just too much. The story goes on and on about this thing with self-checkouts. And this is something that, although I happen to love the self-checkout, I also hate the fact that I go to self-checkout behind people who have you know, three baskets full of stuff trying to go through self-checkout because it's quote-unquote convenient. I also have an issue with the self-checkouts in places where, just like this, the cash machine isn't working, so you have to use credit. That's the one thing that's there as well. And the biggest issue with self-checkout, which is the biggest issue that we're having in the whole automation system as well, obviously there's less people working cashiers, but it is more efficient. 
but it also adds to the the various uh, ways that people can bypass dealing with people and customer service. There's less people to do customer service, so the customer service doesn't get better. It actually gets worse. If you visited a McDonald's, probably in Canada as well, but here in the States, they basically all added the self-checkout kiosk, which you can go to the kiosk, place your order by pressing some buttons, put in your debit card, pay that way, and then they call your number just like just like magic. And it's great, but then we need actual customer service, it becomes an issue. And, of course, the, the big thing is there's less people working there. They're saying the reason behind this, at least here in the States, maybe up there as well, is the push for a higher minimum wage. And so if you're paying more people more, you can't have as many people on the floor. You have to make things more efficient. And self-checkouts is one way to make that happen. Well, I don't know. Like I like I said, I'm not in Canada, so I'm not sure exactly what the deal is up there. But it sounds like a pretty big hassle for people who just want to talk to somebody, get, walk out and go. Self-checkout can be convenient, but as you've heard from some of the people in that story, and also be a pain if you're dealing with multiple issues. We're moving now to the story that we have in the number nine spot. The headline for the story is this. Postal Service released Sesame Street stamps in honor of show's 50th anniversary. This was posted on Friday, March the 15th. This gets a bumper response, which means it was more responsive. More people responded to this one, more engagement, by 16.11%. The story we pulled it from, or the source, is Western Mass News, Channel 3, Channel 4, Channel 6. I guess they have a lot of stuff in, in that area there, doing over a lot of TV stations. But it's basically a TV station that, that farms out news to multiple channels in multiple regions. So let's get a bit of the story from this one as well, reading it from their website. 16 iconic characters from the long-running children's show Sesame Street will soon be featured on stamps from the United States Postal Service. The agent said it will release the stamps to celebrate the show's 50th anniversary later this year. The Postal Service honors Sesame Street as one of the most influential and beloved children's television shows, it presently stated. For the past 50 years, it has provided educational programming and entertainment for generations of children throughout the country and around the world. Each stamp designed by art director Derry Noyes will feature one of the following Muppets. Big Bird, Ernie, Bert, Cookie Monster, Rosita, The Count, Oscar the Grouch, Abby Cadabby, Henry Monster, Julia, Guy Smiley, Snuffleupagus, always mess him up, Elmo, Telly, Grover, and Zoe. USPS also unveiled a new Tyrannosaurus Rex, they're using mess that one up, Tyrannosaurus Rex stamp and Halloween stamps depicting spooky silhouettes of bats, spiders, and ghosts that will be available soon. So we don't have a real date for this, but the Cookie Monster, Bert, Zoe, Abby Cadabby, and my boy Guy Smiley, who always gets cut, cut out of stuff, he's the man, Guy Smiley, are getting the stamp treatment coming very soon. So look for those across your actual mail, if you still get much mail, and just for collector's editions as well. The next story had a lot of buzz across the Internet because of the issues solving why it's actually a story. But just in case you were wondering about who's going to direct the next upcoming version of Guardians of the Galaxy, and who's going to direct the next upcoming version of Suicide Squad? The answer is the same dude, and it's James Gunn. The headline, James Gunn will officially helmet Suicide Squad 2 and Guardians of the Galaxy 3 after Disney rehired. We posted that on March the 15th as well. This gives a bump of response from the 9 story of 5.78%. TMZ is the link we use for this one, but of course it was all over the place. 
I'll go through a quick rundown of this one because this is one that we've discussed in various fashions, various manners, for various reasons uh, to going back and forth. So Disney fired James Gunn after he had some some uh, reoccurrence, not reoccurrence, but basically, basically someone bringing up old offensive tweets, some very bad tweets talking about things like AIDS, the Holocaust, rape, and 9-11. They were pretty bad. So at the time, Disney decided to part ways with James Gunn, who was hard at work setting up for Guardians of the Galaxy 3. That caused backlash from people who loved the Guardians of the Galaxy, including the actual Guardians themselves, the, the actors who wanted Gunn back. So this boiled on back and forth for a while. Very recently, Gunn was hired back in to do... Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Now, there have been some issues with uh, between there and here. Number one is they've had some script rewrites, so we'll see if his script, old script comes back or if some versions of it come through because the show was still going on without James Gunn. It was also rumored that he was going to do Suicide Squad 2, the reboot, revision, sequel, whatever that would be, uh, because he got hot, he got fired from one job. Now we know he's doing both jobs. So if you were a fan of both of those kind of Motley Crue styles of, of movies, superhero movies, Suicide Squad and or Guardians of the Galaxy, James Gunn is back to be in the third edition, the thing he started for Guardians of the Galaxy, the third edition, and he's going to take over Suicide Squad 2, and that's going to um, start going on in September, I believe. So that one's working, happening first, then Guardians is coming a few years down the line after a couple of more Marvel things get worked out. This all based on Disney, you know, deciding to hire him back. It's probably a lot to do with the big Disney buy that happened this week because, you know, money fixes a lot of things. This next story will come back to us. We'll talk about it again very, uh, we'll talk about it very quickly here because we literally discussed it last week. And we'll talk about it very briefly in the housekeeping section in the next segment. Because you have to explain why it happened. But we have a reoccurrence. It doesn't happen very often based on the timing. But this one came in late enough last Friday or early enough last Friday, if you will. And the numbers were so high that it actually stuck around for a full week. So we're rereading a story that happened, posted on March the 14th via the source we have, E! News. We posted it originally on Friday the 15th. And it gets a bump of response of... 20.2% from the number eight story. The headline is Lewis Tomlinson's little sister Fizzy has died at 18 from a heart attack. Now, if you missed last week's story, basically we're going to read a few lines from this one as well and then talk more about why it is and why it's where it is coming up in segment two. So stay tuned for that. But quickly through the story again. Lewis Tomlinson's younger sister, Felicity Tomlinson, has been found dead at age 18. Felicity, a model and social media influencer with over 1.3 million Instagram followers, reportedly collapsed on Wednesday after a suspected heart attack at her London apartment. Metropolitan Police Service tell E! News the police were called by London Ambulance Service on Wednesday to a resident address following reports of a female in cardiac arrest. Officers attended and the female believed to be age 18 was pronounced dead at the scene. Lewis Tomlinson, of course, a member of the band One Direction, famous on his own, his sister famous on her own right. And what makes this really sad is uh, they're two years after the passing of their mother from leukemia. Uh, and so it's one of those things that 
in here, deeper in the story, we talked about something that uh, Lou One Direction just released a song sort of commemorating that death a few weeks before, prior to this and then his sister dying at age 18. There are no updates in this story and there were no updates that I saw throughout the week to pull from. So we'll deep, dig deeper into this one to see where this one is going. Uh, we thought we'd see more updates on that end, but this is a story that we literally reported on last week and we'll explain how it got to be where it is in the in the housekeeping segment. But this week it's back again and it's back in the number seven spot this week. Let's move on to a story that I wish I didn't have to talk about, but you folks did it, and that's where it is. Being in this business and being to do a show about conversations on general news topics, things that aren't in the big news, and sometimes things that get missed out because the main folks don't pay attention to it, there's often things, news stories that I see through every single day as a news reporter and news producer that I just don't particularly care for, don't particularly put much effort into, that we find that people really want to know about or go deeper into. This guy is one of those people that I could care less about. You guys care a whole lot about. Shane Dawson under fire after comments on pedophilia resurface. Monday, March 18th, the day we posted this, 3.18% bump in response from the story in the seventh spot. A few lines on this one because you guys asked for it. Popular YouTube star Shane Dawson is known for his storied career and wildly successful documentary series, but some of his comments about previous podcasts are earning the vlogger mass criticism. A clip from Dawson's Shane and Friends podcast from 2014 is making the rounds across social media again to his controversial statements therein containing pedophilia. In the clip, Dawson described his encounter with a six-year-old fan who happened to have a massive following on Instagram. And it goes even deeper and really dumb on that one. Essentially talking about, as you would expect, Having sex and touching children in inappropriate places, which is something you don't want an adult man talking about in general, and a semi-famous person that kids want to follow as well. This is a big deal because we know there's a lot going on in the underbelly of of Instagram and Facebook and, of course, YouTube uh, with the, you know, the hoaxic stuff, the Momo stuff a few weeks ago, and then the real stuff on people putting inappropriate content in videos that are targeted towards kids. Uh, kids will eat up pretty much anything. I have a seven-year-old who will watch all sorts of weird, uh, just nonsense stuff on her YouTube tablet. So we have to do a lot of watching over her shoulder to make sure that she understands what she's doing. Stuff like this and talk like this is, one, inappropriate, and two, to think that someone might actually do that is, one, very scary. Now, on top of this, I believe that all the stuff that makes Shane Dawson really popular and really, you know, the the big popping thing on YouTube is all nonsense and stupid anyway. So you can write to me and complain about that one on its own. On top of that, some good news from Shane. A few days after this, it was announced that he got engaged to his longtime partner. I'm assuming his longtime partner, but he got engaged to his partner. As I said, I care nothing for Shane Dawson. There you go. So if you don't like me or don't like Shane Dawson or don't like either one of us, you can comment to any of us and talk about that whole issue. Email us at the conversation inbox at gmail.com for longer conversations or talk to us via this is conversation.com for shorter ones on who I should or should not like, where I should or should not go, and maybe what stories I should be looking for. Should I be looking for particular stories or avoiding particular stories along the line? Moving on. Not awkward at all. This one is an actual serious topic in the five spot, something that popped up and it's really, uh, I'm glad it came up in the top tens because it's something that we can talk about, something that needs to be talked about. And this is something that we should really be talking about. I know I said that three or four times. We should really be talking about and talking to our kids about 
in the processes. One in three teens screens positive for emergency room for suicide risk. We posted this on Friday, March 15th as well. A bump of response from the sixth story of 5.29%. USA Today is the source of this story, but it too was all over the place uh, with the issue of suicide being pretty big and teens screening for this in their emergency room screenings. Let me read a few lines from the story and then go a little deeper into this one. One of three preteens screened positive for suicide risk during hospital emergency room visits, according to a small but alarming recent study by the National Institutes of Health. Researchers examining youth suicide risk screenings at three urban children's hospitals last year wanted to see how frequently preteens ages 10 to 12 are screened for the results. They found 23 preteens were positive for suicide risk out of 79 preteens screened, according to the study by the National Institute of Mental Health, part of NIH. Hospitals involved are Children's National Medical Center in Washington, D.C., Children's Hospital Boston, and Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. The article goes deeper and deeper into what's what's kind of the underlying problem, and we're seeing more on this, is essentially the stresses of life that we have, at least here in the States, are causing a lot of people to be depressed, a lot of people to be down, and a lot of people to to think about things like suicide and the fact that so many younger people uh, really younger people were screening, and they say, granted, this is a very small sample, so you can take that for what you what you want to, but even in the small sample, so many people screen so high for risks of suicide, at least the thoughts of it, it should bring some attention to you. So I am bringing that attention to you, no matter where you are and what you think about the numbers on this. It is uh, serious. If you have a child of any, you have a friend, and especially if you have a teenager or preteen who is dealing with any sort of emotional stress, and school, at just in general these days, is pretty much emotional stress, make sure you are discussing issues with them, just in general, having good conversations and uh, discussing things like suicide and things like people having serious depression. You don't know how much a tiny, sometimes randomish conversation can help a person get out of a funk and turn around thoughts towards suicide. Now we go to something that's a bit more light, but it also is a, has a serious, no, uh, very serious connotation. And because, you know, we're all about our First Amendment here in the States. So we had a case that stands up for the First Amendment rights, freedom of speech, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom to give someone the bird. Middle finger protected by First Amendment, court says. The source we have from this is NPR, and we posted this on Friday, March 15th. There are a lot of stories that lasted the week this week. 4.6% bump from the number five story. This is a few lines from the story article on NPR. If you've been tempted to make a rude gesture at a police officer, you can rest assured that the Constitution protects your right to do so, a federal appeals court says. In the sequence of events described by the court, a woman in Michigan, Deborah Cruz Gaz, was pulled over in 2017 for speeding. The officer showed leniency, writing her up for a lesser violation known as a non-moving violation. As she drove away, apparently insufficiently appreciating the officer's gesture, Cruz Gaz made a certain gesture of her own. Or as the court put it, she made an all-too-familiar gesture at Officer Matthew Minyard with her hand and without four of her fingers showing. Minner was not amused. He pulled over again, rewrote the ticket for speeding. Cruz Gias sued, arguing that she had a First Amendment right to wiggle whatever finger she wanted at the police. In a ruling this week, the U.S. Court of Appeals of the Sixth Circuit agreed. 
Quote, fits of rudeness or lack of gratitude may violate the golden rule, but that doesn't make them illegal or the matter punishable, wrote Judge Jeffrey Sutton on the 3-0 panel. There you go. So now, at least per this court case, per that ruling, you have the right to shoot the bird at a cop. I wouldn't try to test it, though. That's just me. I'd say the discretion is probably the better route for that one. But your mileage may vary. The next story is an offshoot of another story that is an offshoot of a larger issue story. Uh, so bear with me for this one. And this is one that you may not have any familiar with, but a lot of people were very familiar with this because we posted it literally yesterday as we as we taped this. And it's the number three story this week. Uh, it got a lot of weird, weird um, Twitter chatter-ish stuff. So I uh, dug a little deeper into it. So we posted this version of it. And this one's still pulled pretty popular. Here is the headline. Bishop Talbert Swan says Pastor John Gray is, quote, lying, unquote, about his emotional affair. That's also in quotes. Thursday, March 21st, as I said, bump in response and reporting of 2.4% from the four story. Okay, so I'm going to just read this and then kind of deal with it as 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 need to. This comes from News 1. This is a story that's sort of blacky, black, 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 but also isn't. So let's go with it. It also has to do with we have a lot of issues with pastors going wrong. So that seems to be a big thing with, with folks out there. Y'all, if you will. So that qualifies as well. Looks like there is some church drama. Bishop Talbert Swan is saying Pastor John Gray is lying when he claimed he just had a, quote, emotional affair with a, quote, strange woman. Swan told wrote on Twitter earlier today, quote, don't let your husband tell you it was an emotional affair and I never touched her after a year-long relationship that included hotel stays, shopping sprees, out-of-the-country trips, paying bills. I love you V-mails and buying her a BMW. He's lying. That was a longish quote from the tweet. The tweet also included a link to Pastor John Gray's story. We'll get to that in just a second. Initially, the woman who claims to be a strange woman, unquote, and don't know where that came from, did an interview with Larry Reed. Allegedly, she knew Gray for two decades before he supposedly pursued her. The woman who chose to remain anonymous at one point said in the interview she ran into financial issues and, quote, it snowballed into, I just love you so much. I always loved you. I always thought about you. I always cared about you. Then he was going through the stuff with his wife and he was saying he didn't feel like her, didn't love her, that he never was attracted to her. He only married her because she looked good on paper. Exact words were, she don't, well, we're not going to go into the exact words because that gets really, really deep. You can check out the link at the website for this week's story and see exactly what John Gray supposedly told the lady, which she supposedly told in an interview, which he says is a lie. So what we have basically here is another pastor having issues. The reason why John Gray is an issue two issues. One, he used to pastor for Joel Osteen, which he has his own issues as well, not necessarily in a off-marital thing, but just people have issues with Pastor Osteen. And two, John Gray is dealing with issues on the financial viability of his expenditures, including his really expensive house and the Lamborghini he just bought his wife that everyone believed was basically a, a I'm sorry payoff thing, which if all this is true, is an I'm sorry payoff thing. Um, 
pastors that get in trouble happen all the time. We had an issue here locally with a pastor that with the church I went to that had an extramarital affair. The family blew up. He left the church because that's what you do. And then he had another church. He started another church, and half the congregation followed him because they followed their pastor. It is what it is. It can be what it can be. These people are men of God, but they're men as well. So they are fallible, and sometimes they do fail. We'll let this one be the drama it's going to be and continue on, and we'll deal with it as it needs to be dealt with. We recently talked about John Gray and the Lamborghini. That was a story that did pop up top 10-wise a few weeks ago. This week, we're finding out, seemingly, it's much, much, much deeper than that. Let's move on to the number two story this week. Number two story happens to be the highest rating story we had on Twitter this week. So that makes it really easy to get there. It gets a bumper response from the number three story of 90.23%. Oh, trust me, wait till we get to the number one story. Miami-Dade officer relieved of duty after rough takedown of woman was caught on camera. CBS Local in Miami is where we got the source on this. Friday, March the 15th. Like we said, a lot of stories that lasted about the full bulk of the week this week. Let's get to a few lines of this story because it really, really, really is, well, it's more uh, more like a, another case of bad police working, but it's really, really indicative of some of the things we are dealing with right now. A Miami-Dade police officer was has been suspended after a cell phone video surfaced of what some are calling a, quote, rough takedown, of quote, of a woman on a sidewalk. That woman, 26-year-old Dima Loving, is speaking out, telling CBS4's Peter DeBurch, I am discouraged. Honestly, life is not the same. What happened made me feel like trash. They should have not done that to me. Yeah, I was yelling because I was pumped up and I almost lost my life when a man pulled a gun out on me and my friend, so I was shouting at police. Yes, I was thinking of my children. I mean, I was the one who called the police. They should not have acted like that and put their hands all over me and had no right to rough me up. I was crying all night after this. Kept me in the cop car for over four hours. I hope that the police director, I hope that the police director does not condone this. And I just pray there is more training in the future for other officers. That's a very long quote that she had. Of course, this is cut from a video piece, so that's how they write things out there. So here are the details, more or less, from the actual story. Loving was arrested on March 5th after police were called to uh, 11,301 Southwest 201st Street after a neighbor dispute. Ariana Green, 22, told police that she and Loving were walking the sidewalk in front of the home of the neighbor, identified as Frank Tum, when he called her a whore. Green said she picked up a plant from Tum's front yard and threw it at him. She told police that Tum then got a gun, which appeared to be a shotgun, pointed at them and threatened to shoot them. When police questioned Tom, he admitted to arguing with the woman but said there was no gun involved, according to the incident report. Um, This goes on and on back and forth into it, but there's video of the actual takedown of the woman, and, of course, there's nothing about the man. So showing the right response, the proper response, the um, muted response, if it need to be, of what happened, um, it always, always looks worse when it's on camera because you see exactly what happens. If you want to see the actual video, it is a bit graphic and can be a bit disturbing. Check it out by finding the link for this week's episode of the podcast at the website, thisisconversation.com, and you can click on the link and see the story, read the full story, and, of course, watch the very disturbing video on that one. 
So now it is time to unveil the top story of the week, the story that all y'all thought was the most important to talk about, or at least got the most most juice out of sending back and forth for applying to. Let's get to the stats before we release the actual title and more details. This was a top-rated Facebook story by leaps and bounds, and of course top-rated by everything else. This gets a bumper response from the number two story of 208% from the second story, which jumped up 90% from the last one. It gets a bump response from the number 10 story. That was a headline on the Canadian drugstores not letting people use cash, making them use the self-checkouts, of 908%. And a bumper response from our almost irrelevant story of the week, story number 199 of 5,912. So what is the headline for this week's top story? An estimated 100,000 homes are sitting empty in San Francisco. The source of this one is San San Francisco Gate. Wow, can't talk today. We posted this story, this headline, on Saturday, March the 16th, and it lasted quite a bit. A lot of folks were really into this one, so I saw a lot of people sharing this one uh, throughout the week as this is a big issue out there. There is some corrections to the story, so so we'll go through that as well. But here are a few lines from the main story. I'll talk about the corrections in a second, and then we'll... Do a, a quick little side about what's going on in San Francisco and the housing market. Here's a number that will make anyone trying to find a place to live in Bay Area frustrated. That's made it 100,025 households are sitting vacant in the San Francisco metro area. The number comes from a study released this week by LendingTree, an online service connecting consumers with lenders and banks. The company based in Charlotte, South North Carolina, looked at the vacancy rates in the nation's 50 largest metropolitan areas, revealing some interesting findings. Compared to other cities, San Francisco metro area's vacancy rate is actually low at 5.6%. Of the 1.784 million households counted in the census region, roughly 1,684,000 are occupied. LendingTree concludes a region like San Francisco, which includes Oakland, Haywood, and surrounding areas, is considered a seller's market, meaning people are selling their homes with easily finding buyers, while the future homeowners will struggle to buy. Anyone who has tried to buy a home in the city in the last decade knows this is true. By comparison, cities like Florida had the highest vacancy rates. In Miami alone, there are some 428,000 empty homes, and the city's vacancy rates at 70%. It's 60% in Orlando and 50% in Tampa. Lending Tree Research explained Florida is a popular destination for secondary residences, and often these remain used for most of the year. So it goes deeper and deeper into the actual story, which is more about Lending Tree than anything. A quick note for the note there. An earlier version of the story stated that over 100,000 homes were vacant in San Francisco. In fact, Lending Tree study referred to the San Francisco metro area, not just the city of San Francisco itself. So it's there you go. The biggest issue was they said San Francisco in the original title, but it's San Francisco Metro, which, as we said, covers a couple of cities, kind of a larger area and some very big areas as well. If you are in the housing market, you either a buyer or a seller. This is numbers that may concern you, especially in some place like San Francisco, where all we're hearing, at least from a national standpoint, is that finding a house is near impossible, at least near impossible for people on the lower end of the spectrum. All the people moving in to do Silicon Valley work are taking up all the residencies and people who have you know large salaries can pay extra amounts of money for things. But the people on the lower end are having issues finding great housing in the metro area. 
So that's from there. But for whatever the reason it is, this was a story this week that caught so many people's attention. I saw it shared so many times and referenced so many times through our Facebook day that it was amazing. And I'm glad to have you on for that one. And also, I'll just glad to have you on for the show itself. Glad to be done this week with the top 10 stories, as said per you. If you're listening to us for the first time and want to how to get your voice in this for next week, it's very simple. Just follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are TH underscore conversation. On Facebook, we are This Is The Conversation. Follow us. Make sure that we are pretty prominent in your feed. Don't don't kind of hide us back as a, as a secondary. Make us primary. Make us default. And as the stories we post from various sources get put out there on the webs, you just react to them. Like them, love them, hate them, share them. The more reaction, the more engagement. As you see, so much engagement this week on the story on the San Francisco housing issue. The more engagement it is, the higher they go up in the score. Coming up in mere moments, we will talk about the almost relevant story of this week, listed as number 199 of this week, and housekeeping. How did the story from last week's top 10 end up in this week's top 10? Well, it's pretty simple, and we'll explain that in moments here on The Rapid Show. With me, Jay Cleveland Payne. This is for the week ending March the 23rd, 2019. Great eyewear at a great price and extremely convenient. Warby Parker can take care of all your needs for eyewear. So I recently, uh, myself and my wife recently got new prescriptions. She went the old-fashioned route. She went to the ophthalmologist, and she went to the store and walked around and had some glasses and tried them on and did the things and had them sent and went through the hassle and wait to go pick them up. And we took about three days in the process of taking care of a simple act. I went through Warby Parker and am surprisingly happy with the glasses because I don't tend to like the frills. I don't like to tend to like anything on that end. But Warby Parker gave me a great pair of really premium glasses for a very, very good price. And the most important thing was there was no hassle at all. I sent them my prescription. They sent me some frames to try on. I picked the ones I wanted. They sent me the glasses I needed. Just like that. Warby Parker started this thing because they knew glasses shopping had to be easier. If you can afford to buy very good quality glasses in the middle of nowhere, provide people with very little resources with great glasses, how come regular people who had more means, that had more SS, could not get the same sort of quality? And that's the way they do it. Now, if you're near a Warby Parker store, you will get top-notch treatment there as well. But if you're not, and you probably are not, they will send you frames to try on at home. You can try them on for no hassle and no no obligation. And the glasses they will send you, once you actually buy the right frames for yourself, start at $99 for great designer-type glasses, not just the really cheap plastic ones. Great glasses at a great price and great service, even if it is via the Internet. Believe it or not, some of these Internet people can take good care of you. This is a prime example. Stop by thisistheconversation.com slash Warby Parker. Thisistheconversation.com slash Warby Parker. We have a great deal with you that can get you a little bit off that extra thing and a little extra in the package they send you. So we're glad to be partnered with Warby Parker. We hope you stop by and visit any of our sponsors, many of them, who all do a great job taking care of us. But we are really good. And this is one, uh, this is one that I definitely, although you can't buy a pair of glasses every day, 
when I need glasses, my next pair is definitely going out to these guys as well again. They are Warby Parker. They'll take great care of you and your eyes. Sunglasses, whatever you need, they can take care of you without any hassle. This is conversation.com slash Warby Parker. And check out the great deal we have with this week's highlighted sponsor. That is Warby Parker. This week, we're going to start off with the almost relevant story because there's some housekeeping in that one as well. And we'll sort of wrap it all together. The story is number 199. So we have throughout the week, and this is a week where while we were growing for a couple of weeks, getting back into a massive amount of posting, this is a week where setbacks with the day job, if you will, uh, caused a couple of times where we had some some windows of non-posting. Most of them were overnight, so that would be an issue. Overnights for us in the States, so that would be an issue for more of the international audience. But there were some issues where we didn't post as many as we thought we did, more or as we have normally. So we're down to below 200. That's not a problem. 199 is a big accomplishment in getting stories out there. But the biggest thing about this week's Almost Relevant Story is that it isn't one that was posted literally within hours of taping. Most of the time, the story, a story that we're talking about in the low spot is a very newish story that didn't have a lot of time to gestate in the grand scheme of things. Fortunately or unfortunately, a lot of things we posted before we went on to record this picked up a lot of steam and is higher than this, so maybe they'll be high enough for next week in the top ten. But the story that made it all the way this week to the low spot is one posted on Saturday, March 16th, well, well, well back in the week. And it's actually a, a very important story, which is the other thing. It's these stories you call almost relevant turn out to be fairly big stories, important stories. They just don't come out with much, much juice because they're usually late, as we said. This week, this is a story that was very early, and I'm glad to get a chance to talk about it because it popped up here. I guess sometimes the fates work that way. The headline for the story is this. Making jokes during a presentation helps men but hurts women. Harvard Business Review had this story. I'll read a few lines from it. Most people want to know how they can effectively present ideas and be persuasive at work. A common piece of advice for presentations and winning over audiences is to be funny. For example, best-selling author of TED Talk, TED Talk Like Ted and communications coach Carmine Gallo says, Humor lowers defenses, making your audience more acceptable to your message. It also makes you seem more likable, and people are more willing to do business with or support someone they like. This advice has been echoed by numbers of other authors. On the surface, that sounds sound. Plenty of research shows that leaders who use humor are able to increase their employees' performance and job satisfaction. Hearing something funny or being amused can reduce stress, improve social relations, generate a positive mood, and increase motivation. Overall, humor appears to be produce productive consequences for both the source and the audience. Apologies for my stumbling. However, one research suggests that the benefits of humor do not extend to everyone. Women may actually be harmed by using humor at work. We find that when men add humor to a business presentation, observers, seem to, observers view them as having higher levels of status that is, respect or prestige, within the organization and give them higher performance, ratings, and leadership capability assessments compared to when they do not include humor. However, when women add the same humor to the same presentation, people view them as having lower levels of status, rate their performance as lower, and consider them as less capable leaders. 
So it goes deeper into the study. You want to go deep in the study, like we said. Check out the link for this week's episode at the website, thisisconversation.com, and you can see the link for all of the stories. But link to all the stories, the sources we have, so you can go deeper into them, especially if there's videos involved. But this is one, as we said, needed a little housekeeping added to it because unlike the trends where the story that is at the bottom of the list is literally something that just didn't have enough time to get in there, this is a story that popped up early in the week, or Friday to Friday week, and apparently not enough people jumped on this one as an important one. I think it's a very curious one, so I'm glad I got a chance to talk about it. And there it is there. If you want to see more about the study and or go dig, dig deeper into it, go to the website and click on the link for it for in this week's episode of the podcast. And you can reply to any manner you want to to talk about it. Email us at theconversationinbox at gmail.com. You can also just conversate us via the Facebook and the Twitter as well. Look for the links and talk there. Talk to us via the website, thisisaconversation.com. Now, the actual housekeeping, the only bit of funny business that we actually had is for the story of the number seven spot this week, Lewis Tomlinson's and his sister dying. And I'm not even quite prepared for this. So I have to go back and look up the numbers for last week to tell you where that story came about in the the thing. And so bear with me as I'm actually clicking moving at the same time. Last week, it was number nine. Number nine story in the last week's podcast. This week is number seven. The actual numbers that uh, in, in its growth are not all that significant, but it is significant that it was posted so early on the day, Friday morning, and that it had enough time to grow by uh, enough to stay in the top 10. It was, it was very large to start off with, so it had enough to stay in the top 10 meant a lot. We rarely have stories that we carry over, and this has been something in the growth of the podcast, growth of the actual countdown, that do we keep them, do we not keep them, because there are some stories that are going to be massive. I have a suspicion, oh, no suspicion, uh, the number one story this week on the homes probably won't stick around. In fact, it won't because it was posted on a Saturday, uh, so it, it, it was outside the realm, last Saturday, outside the realm of what's going on. But I don't see – there weren't many stories posted this very late that may stick around. Usually it's a Friday story that picks up a lot of steam. We don't have a lot of Friday stories this week. So all the stories from next week will probably be pure stories from Friday to Friday. Moving on to the next segment, we will have our shout-outs to people who gave a little extra love this week inside of the conversation. And we will round out the top 15 Stories number 11 through 15 in that order and maybe have some explanation on why they weren't quite the tops. That's coming up in the next segment of The Wrap-Up Show with Jay Cleveland Payne from ThisIsAConversation.com. This is the show for the week ending March the 23rd, 2019. I am coming up on some milestones on a few of my podcasts, but two in particular produced under the same banner, so I can talk two in one today. Go to yourbetteryou.info where I post two podcasts and an article every week on personal development and just being better, making yourself a better you. One is very short. On Wednesdays, we post the Steps of Your Better You podcast, which is reaching the 150 episode mark, which is amazing. The other episode, the other podcast is... The 10-Minute Life Lesson Podcast, which 
on their previous name reached 150 episodes, but is quickly, quickly gaining some traction on that end as well. So check those out. The 92nd one is Steps You're Better You, so it's very quick. The 10-Minute Life Lesson, yes, in 10 minutes you have a life lesson you can take along and work with you. You can also check out all my things I have going on for coaching and there as well via that website, yourbetteryou.info. So for two podcasts, for the price of one, because or many because they're actually both free, you can find them at yourbetteryou.info. If you're looking for more coaching and more work on personal and professional development, uh, check out the links there so we mean, maybe we can connect it on that one, one of the things I do as well. But this week, promoting myself is promoting my podcast, two of them, Steps to Your Better You and the 10-Minute Life Lesson Podcast, both found at yourbetteryou.info. First off, getting the shout-outs done, we thank you very much, all y'all peoples who came in and gave us extra love by liking, loving, sharing, and giving replies to pop up into the notifications. So it's one thing to just click a like. It's something totally different to actually share, uh, reply, and do those things. We look for those to help us know which stories we really are doing the best on getting out there to people, having the best conversations. I'm going to start on Facebook first. My friend Kwame Abdu-Bey popping in, so thank you very much for sharing some great links for that, sharing great knowledge, and a lot of knowledge I get is from the things he shares. Also, my friend Jack Hirons has some comments as well. Also, shout-outs to Jeffrey Carr, Corey Huffman, Tammy Camilla, John Edmondson Mitch, Sid Gold, Robert Randall, and Good Timers Manifesto. So thank you so much. And I very appreciate her her thing because she commented on a story we had about older women, I'll just say it like that, who have given up on coloring their hair and just going naturally gray in how they are now loving their newer looks, which is a classic look that's already there. Let's go to the Twitter. Twitter love coming this week from some great folks, including Catherine Burns, the MacGyver podcast, CJR Murphy, the uh, Undoctrinated show. Check that one out. They're pretty interesting. Uh, Scipio, Man in the Basement, and plus give us our handle 2020. I'm not sure what that's all about, but they showed me love. I'm showing you guys love back. Thank you so much for being a part of the conversation. Now let's get back to the conversation, the actual conversations. Rounding out the top 15, very quick hits onto the stories that didn't quite make it into the top 10. Weren't, I don't say as important, but you know, just by the numbers, there has to be a cutoff. And these stories didn't quite make it lined up. But how they fared and how close they were may make a difference. Jimmy Carter becomes the longest living president in U.S. history. We posted this story on Thursday, March 21st. The source that we posted from was The Hill. And this is a pretty simple one. With the death of George Herbert Walker Bush a a while ago and the living, still living, uh, uh, Jimmy Carter, now he, over the past few days, he reached the age past where... The former president was the other former president was, I should say. So now he is the longest living president currently. Uh, this is so this is a high honor being president and living a long time. And so we are thinking, definitely thinking for Jimmy Carter, a very, I won't even say underrated president. Just for mo- for all accounts, he just wasn't a very good president for the times and just in general. And so what was a great deal him getting there didn't turn out so great to us for a nation. Nothing tragic, just nothing really progressive. So March 22nd is the day Carter uh, officially became 94 years and 172 days old, made him one day older than George Bush when he died. 
Uh, President Carter has not been seen very much in public because he is 94 and 772 days old. Uh, So, yeah, Uh, he's he's still doing as much as he can. But, you know, at that age, it's it's probably much, much easier to do what you must do to keep him down than it is to let him go. We send plenty of well wishes and we'll see how much longer we are blessed. And I do say blessed to have the presence of Jimmy Carter around to, you know, sometimes bring some civility and some balance to some of the nonsense that we've gotten into lately. Moving on to the story that's in the number 11 spot, number 12 spot, I should say. And this is another really serious one as well. The headline for the story reads like this. These four companies produce 6 million tons of plastic every year. CBS is the source of the of this article, and the four companies are Coca-Cola, Mars, Nestle, and Dannon. Six million metric tons of plastic every year. This is according to a company provided figures in a report from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Coca-Cola alone is the biggest culprit and does half the work with three million tons all by itself. What may be bearing the lead of the story is this is actually the first time Coca-Cola has been public about its production. Uh, they usually keep that silent because it's basically a, a window into the amount of product they're actually producing. And you can take that and backwards engineer it to see you know how their sales is going. Uh, but that's something that they're being honest about because they're actually working to reduce their packaging. Uh, Coca-Cola has promised to make all packaging recyclable over the next six years for its bottles and have an average of 50% recycled content by 2030. So that's where they're working. Other companies may not be as public and may not be as ready for those plans. And there are plenty of companies putting out just as much, more or less crap, although maybe not just as much since that's $3 million for Coke by itself. But this is a big story with the, the numbers startling at how much plastic is out there in landfills and how much of it, believe it or not, can't be reused. You've heard stories about the mermaid tears in on the ocean lately. Uh, this is a big story, a big deal, as people are, who are want to not deal with environmental issues, this is something that can of great big number that you can look at and see that shows you there's something to be said about getting this thing done. Moving to number 13 story this week, the real college crisis, student debt drags down economy. That should be an obvious, but it was posted on Sunday, March the 17th. NBC News is, is the source for this one, and it talks about the actual impact of finances for people. It, it, because people dealing with the personal finance issue of having college loans, I'm one who's dealing with that as well, it becomes a burden on everything else. With more loans being paid off, and they're more or less being paid off, there's less money to put into the economy for other things, paying back something that should be a given, something that should be generating revenue, having an education, is becoming an issue for the entire nation. Less houses are being bought, less health care is being paid for, less general stuff in a sense. And a lot of this burden coming on the millennials and Gen Zers who are who had the did not have the head start that Gen X has had, that the baby boomers had, that the greatest generation had, where one, things were mostly cheaper, and two the the just general issues of just the day in the life that we have right now. So the biggest issue that's bringing down the U.S. economy is the fact that everyone's stuck with student loan debt, debt that should have been good debt to help fund a lot of money. But since they're paying off all that loan money, they can't spend it on other stuff. The story in the number 14 spot this week, headline is John Oliver talks to Monica Lewinsky on last week tonight. That's the headline from the story we pulled from Time. We pulled it on Monday, March the 18th. Uh, uh, last night, last week tonight airs on Sundays on HBO. 
But um, the real deal, the real bearing the lead, I guess it was, is not so much that they talked with Monica Whiskey. They were talking about public shaming. And this is an issue that is a really big deal as going back 20 years to the whole Lewinsky thing, um, there is an issue about public shaming and them just, just, just dealing with it. Uh, Monica Lewinsky put out a tweet about last week, I think we talked about it, about the fact that she was threatened with 17 years for trying to cover up the thing that happened in the Oval Office and the blue dress thing, while many of the other people are getting just um, light sentences because they're cooperating, they're, they're, they're cool with Trump, they're getting pardons, things like that. It was just the, the weirdness of how public shaming uh, of people, especially people who don't have the power to do much about it, women particularly, is a big deal. Donald Trump doing a lot of public shaming of various people and being triple as hard on the women as you can take for ill or take for good. Most people probably take that for ill. So the big issue is public shaming. And although in the monologue and in the notes here, basically says, um, you know, this is a comedy show and they do a lot of making fun of people. But at some point, you've got to think about people as actual people. And so they talked to Monica Lewinsky to get the, the lowdown on that one. And it's a very, very, very interesting interview. Very, You probably learn a lot, or if you don't learn a lot, it will probably reinforce a few things that you, you know, you've just stuck to. Go to the link from our website and look for this interview. Look for the story, and you can get more details there. And finally, the number 15 story is one that was uh, caught me off guard and one that picked up steam pretty quickly. I did not expect this one to be as high as it was, to be honest, but... A lot of people are into nostalgia these days. A lot of people love the old format of In Living Color. Back in the day when In Living Color was battling directly against Saturday Night Live, although they weren't on the same nights, they're essentially battling for the same soul of parody and soul of comedy in a in sketch in sketch world. Uh, this one, of course, had a more quote unquote urban flair um, from the '90s and uh, lasted. It, it it sparked the the beginning and the rise from various different. Stars, including Jim Carrey, who got to start there, probably would still been doing weird stuff from there. Of course, the Wayans family are doing all they could from there, and various other people who broke away from there. Um, the pilot episode of the show aired aired on the 18th annual Tribeca Film Festival on the big screen, 25 years after the show went off the air. So it's a pretty cool thing to see. Uh, people looking for nostalgia, looking for the past, and looking for when things weren't quite as mean, to be honest, but they were still very funny and very poignant to the point uh, reading this, reading on this one. Also there, just kind of showing how things worked out, The Simpsons will celebrate the 30th anniversary of the first standalone episode next December. It's going to be inf- uh, recognized by the film for influence on television as well. This is showing how long some of these things last. The Simpsons being on the air as The Simpsons, not just the Tracy Ullman sketches for 30 years, is a big deal. Living Color being 25 years removed from TV, still a big deal uh, for the what they produce and the people, the people, literally the people they produce from that show. And that is what I produce from this week and this show. Thank you so much for being a part of what we have going on. It's an always growing experiment, always interesting to see how things work out. And I'm always glad to get the feedback from you. So send me plenty of feedback. I love good feedback. I bristle, but I take in the, the negative feedback. And I just like hearing from you guys as well. You can tweet at us and Facebook us if you want to. But we really love emails. Emails are awesome. Email us at the conversation inbox at gmail.com. 
visit the website at thisistheconversation.com for contacting there. And, of course, to be a part of all this action, to make sure that your vote counts, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, it's TH underscore conversation. On Facebook, it's This Is The Conversation. And Instagram, it is also This Is The Conversation as well. Every single day, every single hour, we are posting stories, and you can respond to them. If you like them, like them. Love them, love them. Hate them, hate them. Do whatever you do to respond to them, react to them, share them. Do what you want to do to show how big the story is for you, and the story will find its way into our countdown somewhere. And if it's really, really good, it's in the top ten. We'll talk about it right off the bat in this podcast. This week, we reached out to Justice Smith to talk about why everybody thinks he's Real Smith's son and the play to brackets. He didn't get back to us. He's busy Pokemoning, so I guess that's going on. So, obviously, no interview and no brackets game this week. If you know someone you think we would love to have on the bracket show because you'd love to hear them talk about the news, send us an email as well, and we'll do our best to make contact and make that work out as well. The most important thing you can do is subscribe to the podcast so we know you don't miss out on an episode. You hear every single moment of the news per you every single week. The second most important thing you can do is help us share the word, help us get out the message, help us grow the podcast. So make sure throughout the week you tell a couple of friends, you tell a few enemies and find random strangers who are out there just meandering with their phones, grab their phones out of their hands, put up the podcast, subscribe to it for them, hit play, hand it back to them, and then run down the road to pick the next person to take care of it. They will love it. I guarantee you, every single time this happens, people talk about how they love the stranger who tuned them into the podcast while they were on some important business call. It happens all the time. Trust me. Stop by the website and visit our sponsors, including our feature one this week, which is Warby Parker, and just be a good person. We love you guys for being around and just doing great things. If you want to contact me on a personal level, jclevenpain.net is my other website. And, of course, email me at jclevenpain at gmail.com. Once again, I can't say it too many times, although it gets repetitive, but thank you. Thank you so much for being a part of the show, being a part of the message we're doing out here, and just being great people. Make sure you're great and make sure you're back next week because we'll have another batch of stories going from 10 to 1 to see what you thought was more important than what the mainstream media talks. And trust me, I'm a part of that, that so it, sometimes it does hurt a little bit. But you tell me exactly what to talk about, that's what I'm talking about. For the wrap-up show with me, Jay Cleveland Payne from ThisIsTheConversation.com. See you next week for 10 more stories. We'll see how great they are, per se you. <laughs>